My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Simon Boys and Adam Mason. Thank you for being here, you guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, yeah. Simon Boys and Adam Mason are the writers of the feature film Songbird, produced by Michael Bay and starring Demi Moore, KJ Appa, Sophia Carson, and Craig Robinson, and directed by Adam Mason. Adam and Simon have written and sold countless screenplays for, amongst others, Paramount, Relativity, Universal, Skydance, and Lionsgate. The original scripts they've had produced include Universal and Blumhouse's Not Safe for Work, directed by Joe Johnston, who did Captain America and Jurassic Park 3, and Misconduct for Lionsgate, starring Al Pacino, Anthony Hopkins, Josh Duhamel, and Malin Ackerman. Blum, uh, Blumhouse is currently in post-production on an Into the Dark original script they wrote called Luna. Do I have that all right? Anything that... Yes. Okay. All right. That's cool. all correct. So yes. About, about right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, okay, we're going to just have to plunge right into it because what you co-wrote and what you directed is, it's crazy and yet makes so much sense at the same time. So I'm going to ask one of you, you can just jump on in, tell everybody what Songbird is about. Songbird, the feature film. Go for it, Simon. You're better than <laughs> I love how they're silent. I that was going to happen. Songbird is uh, an action thriller set uh, about four years into the future in a, unfortunately, in a world where COVID hasn't gone away. The lockdown has got worse. We're now at strain with COVID-23. And um, in this world, the lockdown means you don't leave your house and people are basically trapped in their own homes. So it is a dystopian kind of sci-fi world, but not, you know, too out there in terms of technology and things like that. And it fundamentally is the story of an immune character, which is very rare in this world, called Nico, who is a courier who delivers things to the people who are essentially trapped in their homes. And at the bottom line, it's really a love story. He's in love with a girl that he's met through his deliveries, but has never been in the same room with because she can't come out of her house and he can't go into it. Um, and so it's a kind of Romeo and Juliet love story set in the backdrop of this future COVID, future lockdown world that is even more scary and unpleasant than the one we're currently in. And it's about whether they'll be able to be together and overcome all of the obstacles that, that come with being in that world. You didn't even have to call it COVID-23. I, I have to be honest, I was watching it and not even realizing at first that it was a different COVID that you were talking about because it did seem to me like, okay, yeah, this would be the natural progression if what is going on now continued for three years. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I think as well one of the things that we discovered as we were developing and writing and Adam was off shooting it was things that we were making up thinking oh this would work this would happen four years from now were actually happening which was really crazy um, I mean literally yeah. yeah we were writing in curfews and stuff like that and then suddenly you're, you're getting amber alerts in your phone basically saying don't go out after 10 p.m. and stuff and so it was really bizarre how quickly like things that we thought were far-flung future ideas were actually happening did so. you get that alert on your phone today that said it was from apple and it said yes yes you can get an alert whether you have been exposed yeah. to covid19 right. we yeah. all you have to do is let us follow you around from location right. to location. And if you've been in an infected zone, we will send you an alert. And I was like, this is their movie. Oh my yeah. God. It oh, was so uh, dis- so weird. Yeah. It's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. yeah. All these yeah. things that, yeah, like I said, we thought they were like sci-fi ideas and they're kind of happening. So yeah, we actually, we, had, we backtracked quite a lot on the dipping angle from where we initially started to where we ended up just because the world overtook us in real time from what we could, uh, come up with on the page and it was like wow we ended up wanting to make a, a movie that was inherently quite sweet and hopeful in tone and the world kind of shifted from uh you know this kind of feeling of togetherness that i think we were all feeling at the beginning of it into wherever the hell we are right now right we were all breaking yeah. baking bread in the in the beginning right. thinking, well yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll get over it <laughs> it was very strange experience making a movie about a pandemic during a pandemic yeah. I have to ask about the timing of it. Okay, so so at what point did you come up with a movie? How long did it take you to write the mu- movie, film the movie? I mean, th- we've only been in lockdown <laughs> for nine months. Th- tell me yeah. the, the, the timeline of this. I mean, we were in pre-production on the movie you were talking about um, in your introduction called Luna uh, that we were making for Blumhouse. And uh, it was a, a real passion project of ours it was one of our favorite scripts that we've ever written and finally we were getting the opportunity to make it and then five days into pre-production we got shut down um and told to go home and uh then the very next morning on the first day of lockdown officially in los angeles simon phoned me um and that's probably better coming from you simon but uh yeah, no, I think, well, we were both really depressed. And I think, bizarrely, I don't know why I always tell this story, but I'd been, I'd actually called my like parents back in the UK that day to say, oh, you know, this movie we were making? Well, we're not. Everything's shut down and, you know, kind of depressing. And my mom said in a very mom kind of way, well, people would just have to figure out another way to make movies. And I was like, yeah, well, it doesn't really work like that, but thanks for trying to cheer me up. And <laughs> then I hung up and then I was like, I mean, what's to stop us making a movie in a world with Zoom and iPhones and everyone has access to this technology in their homes? And so when I called Adam, I was just saying to him, let's write some pages, let's send them to friends of ours who are actors, let's get them to record stuff, send it back to us, we'll cut it together and we'll make something just to be creative, just to try and do something while this was happening. And that day we then just started talking and kind of riffing on ideas. And we put together this document, it's like 12 pages long, called Songbird, a very different idea to the movie that we ended up with. And half of it was really more a call to arms that really Adam had had written more than me that that half particularly, because it was about how can we, how we can make a movie, you know, right now when no one thinks that you can. And um, then we had this idea that was more of a kind of Cloverfield. It was set during a lockdown, but it was the idea was that monsters have like attacked and it was kind of very different to what we ended up with. And 
Adam had the idea to send it to Adam Goodman, who we had known over the years and met on a few different occasions. And he called us back within 24 hours and he was like, let's, let's do it. And basically greenlit the movie. When Adam Goodman uh, says it's a good idea, you have to listen. I, right. What, uh, this is a little piece of trivia. Adam and I, I was a reader and he was an assistant at DreamWorks wow. when I was in my, we were both in our 20s. And that's uh, amazing. yeah, yeah. And then I'm just like, oh, look who's running Paramount. That's interesting. <laughs> like, so, well, I've, but I've got a podcast. Okay. <laughs> anyway. But he always knew a good idea then always. And I think he like, was able to recognize high concept there. All, yeah. You know, even back then, and just like, that's what that sort of catapulted him to the top. Yeah. So that's great that he that uh, he knew that was a movie. Amazing instincts. And then one of the first things he said was get rid of the monster <laughs> because he was like, well, he was at his point was what's happening outside is way scarier than any monster we could create. So where we, we were going to use the monster as a metaphor and, and he was the one sort of saying, let's just tell the story of kind of what's happening, but, you know, in, in, a, in a future version of it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I was very impressed by if when you were writing it, it was like, OK, what you were imagining at the time, most of it happened to some extent mm -hmm. or what hasn't happened is definitely it felt ground enough to, for the timeline to go no 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 but that could happen and that could happen and that could happen so how did you guys as far as the the the, the brainstorming of what could be how did you kick that around i'm just curious i mean we talked to we talked to a lot of uh, futurists scientists to we talk to? We talk uh, to some economists as well. Economists, about, we talked talk yeah. to medical people, we talked to immunologists, um, which was really fascinating. So we, we kind of uh, took the full gambit of uh, research in terms of people's points of view and about the way that the, the pandemic could escalate very quickly over time, which was extremely enlightening for Simon and I, uh, Simon and I in terms of creating the universe and the, the world building side of um, what we were putting together with Songbird. There was that side of it. And then there was the, the love story and the kind of, you know, old fashioned, um, uh, you know, basically it, it's, it's a very character rich movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the world building was really interesting. That was something that evolved and evolved right until a couple of weeks ago when we finally finished the movie, we were always changing the, the rules of the world um, just trying to make sense of the logic uh, to kind of serve the purpose of uh, Sarah and Nico's, love story essentially i love the fact that you know romeo and juliet had a balcony and these two have a door you know <laughs> yeah. and they're literally on both sides of the door and they're both so good looking and uh and and, <laughs> and they're so in love and you really believe it so just using the you know we we try and separate our lovers all the time in, in great romances, right? Like writers mm. have to go way out of their way to do it. And you've got the perfect conceit for that, which is they literally cannot be in the same room. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and just a, a great way to be able to kind of explore the feelings that we're all having in different ways, but about being distant from people we care about, not being able to, you know, be in the same place as people we want to be, you know, see our families or whatever it might be. And, um, it just seems like a really good way of kind of exploring those emotions that we were we're all still going through, you know, um, to different degrees. So. It was quite it was quite personal from that point of view. The story, I suppose, because Simon and I are both 
you know, Brits in exile in Los Angeles, 6,000 miles away from our loved ones back home. So uh, we've been communicating constantly through technology with our parents and our friends back home in England. Um, and that kind of fed its way into the, the narrative of Sarah and Nico. Uh, and it's almost like, you know, we're, we're all divided by this this uh, pandemic and lockdown. And yet the technology has allowed us to, to still communicate uh, with one another. So that was that was hugely inspirational for us. Yeah. Was, story. was there anything that as this real life, <laughs> as you were writing and shooting the thing that was really happening in the world, did the what was really happening in the world ever force you into an edit because now you can't explore this certain thing because it's already been covered in, in the real world? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, there were countless uh, instances like that. I mean, the, the curfew comes to mind, particularly just because we were literally writing that scene into final draft while helicopters were flying o- over our homes. And previously, we, we'd, be dis- we'd been discussing whether that was too dystopian for our story or not. You know? And then <laughs> a few weeks into the lockdown, that was actually happening. So across the board, all these things were, were becoming reality, especially with the you know the, the idea of immunity passports and i think like the divide between rich and poor um was becoming ever more um relevant uh you know yeah to the forefront of uh what everyone was talking about so that th- those were themes that we took and we layered them into the story and we were always kind of second guessing ourselves a little bit as to how far we should we should go with all that i think these days it's go as far as you want right yeah yeah because or the- even like guards on armed guards on the streets and stuff and then and then we had the national guard deployed to cities and you know part of that was the protests and things but it was just it was that feeling of like everything we put in this that might feel too much is kind of happening it do you was, think it maybe was you bizarre. created it do you think it's your fault <laughs> i hope not okay because i'm looking please, for please somebody to put blame. that out there okay yeah yeah hopefully not but um <laughs> yeah i was saying to simon earlier that i you know i grew up talking to my dad uh, who had lived through the Blitz in London in the in the forties? He was, you know, the age of my oldest kid when um, World War Two, the, the London Blitz was happening. Um, and he always told me that it was a, a wonderful time for him. It was full of great memories because it was a a time when um, kind of humanity came together and there was a real sense of of um, community um, and 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 that kind of stuff. And and at the beginning of the lockdown, I think Simon and I were feeling those kind of feelings again, but. That you know, real life became more and more dystopian over the last eight months or whatever it's been, and we were we were constantly kind of feeling the urge to pull away from that and make something that was inherently more um, hopeful and, and more about the kind of good side of, of humanity versus the bad side. Um, you know, like the, the when the riots and and the looting started in LA, that was that was happening all around us while we were writing the script for Songbird and while we were writing. Um, that iteration of the the script, there was kind of a revolution happening in the world of the movie. And it was kind of like it suddenly started to make us feel quite uncomfortable that we were, you know, we didn't really want to get into that territory necessarily. Mm-hmm. We were trying to make a movie, like I said, that was that was really about hope more than anything else. Um, and that was when we really decided to double down on the love story. Yeah. And that's what one of the challenges was. We don't want to end on a downer, but we can't also end on Nico finds a cure or makes a cure in his kitchen sink or whatever. It'd just be so ridiculous. So it's like, how do you end on a, on some kind of positive note or some sense that there is hope? And, and then it, it sort of became apparent that it all really hinges on getting these two together and, 
and the, the power of human connectivity and, and all of that kind of stuff. And maybe that can spark some kind of positivity or give people a reason not to give up at the very least. And, you know, so, so there were a lot of discussions about how do you end a movie without a mad scientist suddenly announcing that, don't worry, guys, I cured it. And, you know, which just didn't feel obviously right. So I think yeah. that was that was definitely a challenge that we, I think we it felt, faced. It felt very sci-fi when we started writing it. Whereas now, eight months later, it doesn't feel very sci-fi. In a way, it feels it does feel like quite a sweet movie. Like the, the world of the movie feels almost sweeter and less dystopian than the world we're in now. It does quite peculiar, really, because <laughs> that it, wasn't how it yes. intended. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I um, one thing I'm always looking for with 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 the writers that I'm working for and the projects uh, that I'm, I'm working with them on is, okay, you've got a whole bunch of characters, but how are they going to connect ultimately? Mm-hmm. You know, why am I sort of dropping into all of these characters and just because you find it cool? And I thought that you did a great job of connecting the dots with all of the characters' stories toward one goal in the third mm-hmm. act. I thought that was really well done. At the same time, these characters represent different economic classes some of them so you're making yeah. making a statement about this sort of k-shaped ec- ec- economic ec- economy that we have while also they're important characters for the story and they ultimately yeah, all yeah. come together mm-hmm. yeah i think it's just one of those things that again we weren't we weren't trying to make a political or a message movie at all um but it just I think the virus has just magnified some of the things that we all know are out there, like the, the sort of d- divide between wealth and poverty. This is getting bigger and bigger. And so that just automatically became something that you couldn't avoid, especially if you wanted to have the very wealthy Bel Air couple who are selling immunity passes to their rich friends. And, and then on the other side of the spectrum, people who are, you know, have no way of making ends meet in this world, you know? Um, so it just, organically that had to be a part of it i think yeah um, it was also it was probably the only project simon and i have ever written uh where the production itself really informed the narrative of the movie i mean what's, what's the expression like necessity is the, the mother of invention or you know limitation like limitation yeah yeah ultimately ended up being incredibly inspiring for us so the multiple narrative thing we're very inspired by the movies of like robert altman for example like we love films like shortcuts and the player and all those kind of things but it but really it was it, it was born out of the necessity of how are we going to be able to actually make this movie during what is really an impossible time to make anything um so one of the things that we uh, came up with right away was that probably having intercutting multiple narratives would be a very smart thing because because it meant that we could, you know, cast a, a number of different actors and have them come on board for maybe three, four days each. And by then it, intertwining those different storylines, we would be able to form this feature. So the first uh, call to arms for that was like, how how can we have these seemingly disparate narratives that then somehow, what, what's going to connect them, basically? So the first couple of weeks, that was really all we were talking about. And, and who would be the most interesting characters to focus our story on? Um, and, and, it, and it kind of evolved naturally from there. Well, it's, it, it, it was helpful that your characters cannot, right? So the conceit of the movie is mm-hmm. they cannot be in the same room. So they could not be filmed in the same room. But at the same time, the real actors probably wanted to be in the same room with each other as little as possible. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so the story uh, was beneficial for them. 
and the situation created the story. You also said something about, is it opportunistic film filmmaking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, Which our director of photography, Jacques, coined that phrase. Uh, I'm not... I'm not completely sure of the meaning of it. I, mean, I, I can pretend to know. I, I think you'd have to ask the Frenchman for the truth. Well, he mentioned something about sort of grabbing any, you know, it's the opportunity to grab your phone, your GoPro, and shoot where you can and how you can without a lot of changes to like makeup touches, uh, touch-ups or things like that, right? That it has mm-hmm. more of this sort of grab-and-go quality to the filmmaking. Um, And I would imagine that's also something that you had to do. You couldn't have like makeup people come over and like dab everybody's face every five seconds. Right. And when we were writing, we didn't actually know how we were able to, we're going to be able to film it. So that was something that was constantly evolving as well. So Simon and I were rewriting and rewriting based on conversations that we were having with the unions at the time about health and safety of our cast and crew. So that was really interesting. Like to start with, we thought it was going to be a 100% found footage type movie that was all going to be done on devices like iPhones, laptops, CCTV. The reason there's a character in the movie that's a drone is because we thought we were going to have to film large chunks of the movie with the drone. Um, so we created a character that was a drone. Um, the reason that Sarah and Nico and all the other characters are communicating through FaceTime was you know, born out of necessity because we figured that we'd probably use a huge amount of the footage from the iPhone itself as uh, as our A camera for the movie. But gradually, and I think that's what Jack meant by opportunistic filmmaking, was that we would be using all kinds of, like a very mixed medium type movie. Um, but ultimately we ended up, the movie as it stands now is probably 95% like a traditional Hollywood movie. You know, like it's, it was filmed with a, a red, one of the red cameras, like a 6K camera. And so it looks very much like a Michael Bay movie, like you might expect a Michael Bay movie to look. Um, yeah, what happens when Michael Bay comes on? And at what point did he come on? And then what, how did that, for want of a better term, how did it blow up your movie? <laughs> yeah, he came on board very, very early on, a couple of weeks into the process, probably. Mm. And we didn't really know how involved or not he was going to be. Um, he ended up being um, very involved incredibly involved um once we started filming um so you know he was actually on set filming with me and operating the camera alongside me which was um pretty mind-blowing experience um and then in the post-production he was involved on a, a daily basis and it was pretty fascinating look inside his mind to be honest that is so cool you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it was like, like simon and i are big fans for years we always joke that, uh, well, not joke, we were always serious about it, that we'd know we'd made it when we made a, a Michael Bay movie. It was always our dream to write a Michael Bay movie. We always <laughs> wanted to write a Transformers movie. And then it kind of accidentally happened, like out of the blue. It was like, uh, oh, shit, Michael Bay's, you know, producing our movie. And then he kind of really stepped up as very much like a mentor for me. Like, I, you know, I talked to him today. And like, he's incredibly supportive. Um, and and that was just a, a marvelous uh you know, it's, it's something that I'll never forget. That's for sure. This is so not fair. Like if somebody asked me what I did over the pandemic, it'd be like, well, a big bread. I've, I've learned how to play the piano. And you're like, that made a Michael Bay movie. You know, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a good distraction because uh, I think now it's all over. We've started like feeling much more, much more kind of down about what's going on. We didn't really have time to think about 
you know, what's what else is going on in a weird way because it's just been yeah. a lot. But, um, well, it's pretty awesome working with him. But it was also terrifying. Like, it was terrifying working with Michael Bay. <laughs> because he, doesn't, he doesn't suffer fools at all. Like, he has zero tolerance um, for, for anything idiotic. So uh, it was, um, it was uh, constantly... My anxiety was through the roof pretty much throughout the entire process. <laughs> Do you guys... You've been writing for a while, right? Um, mm. When did you start writing together? I should say. Oh, I think I think we figured out it was like eighteen years ago. Yeah, oh my yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been, been a very, really long time. Um, so we've done did, a lot of projects where did you together. Meet? Where did yeah. you sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. That you, this is the magic of Zoom. Everybody who's listening. Um, <laughs> where did you meet? Oh. Um, yeah, we actually went to the same school, but I'm six years older than Simon, so we didn't know each other at school. Uh, but we grew up in the middle of nowhere in England, and uh, I was the only person from that school who ever did anything film-related. So I started making a few really low-budget movies in my early 20s and then uh, started a music video company and was doing a lot of that stuff. And then Simon went to university, and when he graduated, he'd heard about me over the years as the one person in the area <laughs> that we grew up in who... Uh, was doing anything film related and he just cold called me one day wanting some work experience that coincided the week before I did my first ever music video and I've done like 250 music videos now so this was right back at the very beginning and um, he came and worked on my on the first music video I ever did that was the day I met Simon and uh, then he told me he was a writer I've been looking for a writing partner for years I've had a bunch of failed collaborations up to that point and we started writing together and now it's almost 20 years later. Wow. How, what's your process as far as breaking story and, and writing together? I think, it's, I think it's changed a little bit over the years, but um, I think first things we have very like similar sensibilities and voices. It's kind of eerie. Like we've, we've got to the point, if you go back and read one of our scripts, I couldn't tell you like who thought of that line or who wrote that line. Like we, we sort of speak with one voice in a weird way. Um, but it always starts with an idea. One of us will call the other and go, hey, what about this? this? Do you think this is cool? It's a character or it's a concept or something. And then it's talking, a lot of talking. It used to be meeting up every day and now it's uh, <laughs> phone calls. But um, just talking out the idea, talking out the characters, the situation, the scenes, where it could go, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then we used to write really in-depth outlines and we still do to a degree. It, it depends on the project. Um, one thing we've started doing more often actually is when we're really confident about the the start of the movie and the characters is maybe write a first act just to get the tone, get the voice of the characters figured out and then hit pause and go back and talk about it. We're not afraid to throw things out, change things or, you know, so it's just an exercise in kind of like finding the rhythm and the voice for it. And then we'll kind of go back, figure some more out, play around with it. So it depends really. We've done it a lot of different ways over the years, but we always, yeah. you know, end up with something we're happy with usually. It's funny, our relationship, though, because, like, Simon's is a real writer. I'm not really – I've never thought of myself as being a writer. I'm, I've kind of ended up in, in, in that field by mistake, very much thanks to Simon. I'm a director who's always just wanted to create projects that I could go and, uh, and make, and then Simon is the real deal when it comes to writing. Um, so we, we kind of, like, um, rely on, on each other in, in, in quite different ways ways even though we have very similar sensibilities you know simon just has a kind of genius level knowledge of, of writing as a craft that's too kind uh, but well no but it's, it is true you know whereas i come come at it more from the point of view of like a, 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 di 
a director, I suppose. Um, but I, w- so. I would imagine that's very helpful that, that, you know, you've written something and then a director's eye goes, wait a minute, how are we going to film that? Or it would be cooler if we filmed it this way and it, it might bring in creative right. possibilities. So, yeah. 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 It's a really yeah. interesting relationship in that sense as well. Like I'm always, like my biggest uh, goal as a director is to try and get as much of what Simon and I have written on the page onto the screen. So the closer I can get to that, the happier I am. So with Songbird, for example, like the, the first cut of Songbird was like two and a half hours long, but I was really proud of it because I felt like kind of against the odds somehow, like um, I'd managed to kind of get the very essence of what Simon and I had written onto the screen. Um, so our relationship goes way off the page and all the way through production. Like Simon is the person that I always send any edit to, for example. And, and, and so we're constantly rewriting what we're doing while we're editing even. I mean, so much of Songbird Simon was rewritten during post-production, wasn't it? Like we were yeah. yeah, writing yeah. lines. Like the news reported footage in Songbird, we were, we were changing that. We probably did 20 iterations of every one of those newscaster things, just trying to get right. that exposition in a subtle way across to the audience. Um, and, and, and that kind of happened across the board with the movie. So now, there are a lot of writers that are listening. Okay. And again, the timeline is, is freaking me out a little bit. So if you guys came up with an outline, how quickly did you write the completed script? Before? So, yeah. So it was a kind of a weird, again, this was not a normal situation yeah. for us. And, uh, the best way to describe it was we were kind of developing and writing while we were already in pre-production. So okay. there, there were, there were sort of two things happening at once, but once we had sent that initial document, um, we then started working on an outline. There were a lot of conversations between ourselves and then with produ- the producers and, and some, some really brilliant creative people involved in this, um, who we were talking with and developing these ideas and characters. And then we went away and we wrote what we've kind of been calling a scriptment. It was, it was an outline, but with slug lines and, and written more in the style of how, of how we would write script pages, but without dialogue, just sort of placeholder, some, this is what needs to be said. Um, and I think that ended up growing to about 50-something pages, 56 pages or something like that. That was, that was probably a like, four- to six-week process, starting in, starting in March, I think. And then... The we often do is we take, a, we take the outline, and then one day we put it into final draft, and we give it slug lines and scene headings and so on. And it, and it, it, and it always doubles or trebles the length and then we send it to the producers and they're like holy shit these guys how, done how did you do that <laughs> we were like, it was the same it was the same thing you read yesterday but <laughs> and it's now it's in final draft in paste you know it and we don't like we don't normally do that but that was definitely what we did on this one we did actually literally paste it in because we were in such a hurry because it was literally like they were like we need to start like soon and cast you know casting was happening and adam was getting pulled into all these big production meetings and and so we did. We we copied and pasted it into Final Draft, which is probably sacrilege. And um, nobody's going to know. Don't worry. It's not like you're <laughs> saying it on podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> right. And then just started, started working every scene and adding the dialogue and playing around with things. And um, somehow we ended up with a script that everyone was happy with before the start of the shoot. But then there were there were rewrites pretty much every day, just little pieces here and there. And of course, when actors come on and they have ideas, um, many of which were really really cool and and helpful and so we we dive back in and made sure we address those and so it was a really collaborative experience but it was it was a real time crunch it was it was pretty intense getting it ready um in time yeah. but uh, if you ask the producers they would tell you that we wrote the script in three days 
But the reality <laughs> was that we'd spent many weeks writing an outline that we then copied and pasted into Final Cut. <laughs> giving away all our secrets, man. Yeah. yeah. Adding a few lines of dialogue gave the illusion that we'd written a whole new thing, which I thought was quite funny. But it was, it was, it was very daunting because by the end of the development process that was happening concurrently with the pre-production of the movie, on the first day of shooting, I went into a 17-day shoot, which is incredibly short with a 126 page script. <laughs> so, and, uh, and the other thing that we realized very quickly was that we should, that while we thought it was very clever to have all of these FaceTime conversations and phone calls and people talking over laptops, for example, in the movie, it was terrible for me because one page of a phone conversation is actually two pages in the schedule because you have to shoot both sides of the conversation. Oh, yeah. So many of the days that would have been a, an almost crippling like 12 page day ended up being a 20 page day because half of the half of it was phone conversations that you had to shoot both sides of so that would that was that that was um, an interesting scenario that yeah, is, yeah that's good for filmmakers to know who think that yeah. would be really easy showed my naivety it blew my mind when adam was explaining that to me because i was like well it's so obvious but like yeah if if sarah and nico are having a conversation and she's in her apartment and he's out on the street that's a that's a location move as well you know that's and so what looks like six pages is really 12 so yeah especially with uh, visual like on facetime all of the stuff where you can see sarah talking to nico or those are talking to may uh via video chat both sides of that conversation had to be filmed and most of it was done in real time as well um, that was very time consuming indeed. So your next project, I think you're going to be so no happy. Phone. Yeah. It's a world without phones. Yeah. <laughs> world without phones, maybe a longer production schedule, maybe <laughs> yeah, a little more right. time with everything. You're going to, that you're would gonna, be nice. You're going to actually feel like, wow, everybody's going so slow now that you've done it like this. Right. 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 That would be nice. What are you working on next? What's, what's up at bat when this is when this is all over because the scientists did come in and created a vaccine and maybe there will be a happy ending so that's great Hopefully, yes yeah. which yeah. we're very grateful for oh. i think um we're, we're the kind of people who always have 10 ideas on the go which again is probably a terrible idea <laughs> terrible advice but um so we're kind of figuring out what's next. We're working on a spec at the moment, which we're really excited about. It's actually been something that on and off we've been working on for many years. Um, it's, a, it's a concept that we love, but it's been really difficult to crack. And we keep coming back to it because we know there's something really cool there. And I think we finally got I think to a point. Yeah, I yeah. think we may even have a draft by the end of next week, so depending, uh, depending what happens. <laughs> but um, So we're really excited about that. But we have... We, we just we just love coming up with ideas, creating things, writing scripts. We never stop, and um, and we're not the sort of people who've been running around with one script, you know, trying to get it everyone's attention with it. If something if something passes by the interest of everybody, we just start the next thing, and you know, it, it's yeah. just, which I think is the way it has to go. If you want to if you want to sell scripts, you have to keep creating new ideas. So you have a um, big kind of matrix type sci fi idea that we've been working on for a couple of years that we're doing a rewrite on now, you know, hoping that one day we get the opportunity to make that. We have a podcast that we've been working on for the last year or so. Simon and I love podcasts. Oh, um, good. Well, you're on one. Yay. <laughs> no, this is a dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really this, so. this one's a narrative podcast, we should point out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drama about a cult that we, because uh, I do a lot of music videos, uh, a lot of big bands have had to find ways of diversifying since the whole, you know, 
uh, I guess, th- since the Napster thing happened 10 years ago and the music industry kind of fell into a hole. There's been a lot of interesting opportunities there. So there's a rock band called Korn that uh, asked us to do a podcast about a cult, uh, a fictional piece. So we've been working on that. It was actually, in a lot of ways, the inspiration for Songbird, weirdly. It was something that we put together remotely back in uh, back in January, and then it got shut down because of the lockdown and pandemic. But now we're, we're trying to get that finished by the end of the year. Now, you mentioned, you know, you love fictional podcasts. You mentioned you loved Michael Bay movies. Can you, the two of you, um, share some movies or TV shows or even, you know, podcasts that have been influential uh, for you as writers and filmmakers? Yes. After you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean I'm, I'm trying to think. So, film-wise, we're huge fans of David Fincher. So, um, you know, going all the way back to... Seven was a, a hugely informative movie for me when I was back at film school 20 years ago. Um, oh, I mean, well, that says something it, about your dark sensibilities. Adam. I, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think we both like really like that kind of like sort of the, the more modern auteur driven stuff like Fincher and Tarantino. But we also like one of the things we keep going back to is just that love of those 80s and 90s blockbusters that they kind of don't make anymore you know with the back to the futures and ghostbusters and then into the 90s when you have the enemy of the state and all those kinds of the fugitive like so we, we we're always kind of and it is weird they don't really make those kind of movies anymore but um but and those are things that we back, i guess is a huge they just, yeah and they just do what they do so so brilliantly and have such a charm to them that we're always trying to like tap into that kind of that kind of vibe as well well, there, you see that in Songbird. There's definitely um, a really fun popcorn movie element to this right. dystopian romance um, right. in terms of, you know, good, evil, like you're you're on it. You get it. And there there was something fun about being like to me, I was like, ah, oh, I feel like I'm in a movie movie. You know what I mean? I am really right. like this is how I feel in the movie theater. Emotionally, I'm carried exactly in the direction that the writer and director wanted me to be you know so that's great to hear yeah those influencers are definitely coming through i, I think weirdly we're, we're big horror fans as well so I mean, we started out making a lot of like indie horror movies so that always somehow kind of like feeds its way into what we do even if it's something on the on the on the front of it that's supposed to be very fun like we always try to have a, a slightly dark villain or something like that i think that kind of seeps yeah. its way in and yeah, we also yeah. grew up being very inspired by Robert Rodriguez, when he, you know, his book Rebel Without a Crew was a huge influence on us. And when, when I was at film school, um, I took so much from that, so much inspiration from that. And I, I think we still take inspiration from that kind of like do it yourself approach. Even if, like, when Simon called me up that morning on the day one of lockdown saying, let's go and make a movie with our friends, you know, I didn't have a single hesitation, nor did he. We were going to go and do it. We didn't care about the money. We weren't ever looking for a budget to go and make Songbird. We would have done it ourselves and be sitting here talking to you um whether or not anyone else had come on board that's that's just kind of the approach we take like we're never going to stop doing it because it is what we love doing i think that is inspiring and that is what we're going to go out on so i would love for everybody to know when is songbird coming out and where can people see it it's tomorrow tomorrow friday the 11th oh my goodness so the 11th by the time this podcast comes up it well, it, we're gonna. This podcast may it may be on for a week already, but where where is it going to be? Like 
you know, as it's on VOD, right? Yeah, so it's it's PVOD. I think everywhere that does offers okay. paid video on demand. So I'm guessing you can do Apple, Amazon, all the all the places you would expect. Um, so we're terrible at this. This is a terrible plug. Yes, but, you're... Um, but yeah, everywhere you would expect to be able to uh, to to rent a movie, you know, to stream. Uh, I think it it should yeah, be there. Yeah. And Excellent. then like theatrical in England. I'm not sure where else it's theatrical. Not that we yeah. would necessarily recommend. Yeah, we probably shouldn't say that we don't recommend people go, but, <laughs> but we do feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. Please, um, please be safe. <laughs> um, uh, it would be nice though, like if your family in England got got to see it in a movie theater, just know, all masked yeah, I know, up. But I, I already told them not to do it. <laughs> well, so. they're getting the vaccine first, so who knows? Yeah, true, no? true. There Maybe. might be time. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, are you on social media? Is there um, a social media handle for the movie? I think there is, yeah. Songbird movie uh, is Instagram and Twitter. I'm not personally on social media. Simon, you are. Somewhat. I am, I am well, in a very pathetic kind of way. I am, but yeah, <laughs> not, not, not in a way that will benefit anybody. <laughs> so, um, not really. But yeah, I think it's at Songbird Movie for the actual film, right? Excellent. Yeah. So everybody, go check that out. Also, check out on the page TV. Writing the feature film is coming up, and that is starting in January 9th. It is four Saturdays online from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. LA time. So it should work for most of you out there um we are going to build out a movie in four weeks basically you're going to go from idea into outline and into pages and yes one one uh stage of this is something like a scriptment that these guys were talking about so i would love to see you in class on the page.tv thank you again Thank you so much to Adam Mason and Simon Boys. I really appreciate you guys being here. It was excellent information, and I wish you lots of luck with the movie. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> oh, nice to meet you too. He said lovely to meet me. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, thanks to all of you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. Have a good writing week. <laughs>